Hi, this is Tony Tolado, and this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our own humanity. This is a series of specials on For All Mankind as we start the new year, and we kind of bask in the enthusiasm of the Artemis rocket recent return to the moon. And this was from the very first season. I was at New York Comic Con, and we'll get to those interviews with the cast and producers in a moment. If you've been listening to Sci-Fi Talk a while, you know I love my alternate history. And that's part of what's intriguing for all mankind. It's an alternate history SF program on the newly launched Apple TV+. Imagine if the Russians landed on the moon first. So instead of a Cold War, it furthers the space race. We'll learn more about this world from the New York Comic Con roundtables as we first are joined by Chantelle Van Santen, who plays the wife of astronaut Joel Kinnaman's Edward Baldwin. And she is Karen Baldwin. So tell us about Karen. Ooh, um, I can tell you all the juicy details because, you know, um, Joel's not here. <laughs> so um, Karen Baldwin is the better half of, um, you know, the, the relationship that is Ed and, and Karen together because it truly takes both of them um, in order for him to do his job and run the way that it needs to. You know, I think it's so interesting because it's easy to say, well, she's an astronaut wife, and we just assume we know and understand from previous stories told. But really, we go so much deeper into the exploration of what what grounds the story and how the the wife has to mow the lawn and has to raise the kid and, and has to create a stable environment for the husband and astronaut to come home. It's also interesting in, in that time and space and era as I did research because I couldn't own a credit card if I wanted to. And all of these things that the feminist part of me in real life is like, what? <laughs> um, so it was it was really cool to kind of explore that, that role, but then also see what Ron and Marilyn, Matt and Ben did with these characters. She has high praise for co-star Joel Kinnaman. I mean, he's he's phenomenal. Uh, obviously, I I absolutely adore him, and for for parts of it, we're not together, but we are. Do you know what I mean? And we have there was ways in the '60s of communicating when when they were gone, but also the challenges around communicating or not communicating through some really important life events that happen and things that they miss. And um, he's. He's that he's such an amazing actor because he doesn't have to do a lot. You know what I mean? He's he can sit and listen and you know everything that's going on inside his head and um, it was so great to, to work with him and to play off of him and to find the challenges of the writing in the challenges of their life together. What's it like to work for Apple TV? Well, none of us knew when when we joined on. Obviously, it was so exciting. You're working for Apple. You're like, this is going to be huge. It's going to be so exciting. But while you're shooting, it functions like a normal set. You know, you're going to the sound stages or locations, and you're working, and it's normal. And only now are we kind of feeling the positive, uh, amazing effects of having Apple behind a TV show that they believe in so much, and it. It feels really rewarding because sometimes you do work you believe in and then the world never sees it. And, um, you know, we know that what we have is so special 
and they've done such a wonderful job with um, taking a story and, and making it so different with the alternate timeline and in an aspirational way and in a way that I learned things from from other characters, from the way we told the story, from starting off with such a huge loss and it allowing us to actually create progress that I think we could implement today in our in our own world. <laughs> the women of the time were very different than the women today. And she looks at those women and who Karen is. It's hard because I, when we started off, I, I've never I've never watched anything with astronaut wives before. Um, I know what the assumptions are out there. If I'm being honest, when I started off, I I wasn't sure I liked Karen. You know, like the women of that time were so were so different than we are as modern day women. Um, and I really had to had to find my ways of empathizing, which was such a lesson for me in in real life. Like. Sometimes we don't like people, and yet if we can connect with them and empathize and find maybe their pain or find what they're struggling with, then we understand them better, even if our circumstances aren't the same. And so for me, it was this beautiful and really rewarding challenge that they handed me um, in the scripts to see everything. And as it unfolded episode by episode, how much she actually carried. Like, he may be up in space in, in no gravity, but it feels like the ones that are left behind have literally the weight of the world on them. And yet, they can't they can't show it so it's slowly chipping away at in my mind this marble statue and eventually life kind of unfolds and crumbles so when he's on earth how's their relationship i think you know i think it comes with a lot of challenges because the nature of what they do takes them away from communicating and sharing so much that is secretive whether it's because of politics or because of the nasa program and you're just there to support and trust in whatever way that you can, but I think that eventually wears. Like anything, in the beginning you're, I'm gonna tough this out, this is gonna be great, long distance relationship times a million miles, and you know, I think that eventually it presents challenges that one couldn't possibly fathom, and it's shocking in a lot of ways, um, what, what they have to experience while uh, apart. It turns out the space program was actually a part of her school life. Okay, I grew up for most of my life in Houston, Texas. Okay. So our field trips for school were always to go to NASA. I had a teacher who now has passed away from breast cancer, but her name was Christine Brinkley. And growing up in middle school, she taught us flight. She taught us space. We would create like panels on cardboard and she would teach us what things were. And I grew up loving science so much. Um, I'm, I'm heartbroken I'm not an astronaut, but it's okay. Uh, in my mind, I am. But I, growing up around it, I, I dreamed of it. And so it's kind of full circle, this beautiful thing to be involved in a show that centers around space and the exploration of it and the exploration of characters. Next are executive producers Ronald D. Moore and Meryl Davis. So you're back in space. Back in space. <laughs> and happy to, happy to be back. What's the challenge in doing a series like this? There's multiple challenges. You know, it's a very detail-oriented show in a lot of ways. You know, constructing an alternate history and really trying to make that plausible and believable and thinking through all the various you know, repercussions of changing certain events takes a lot of time and energy in the writer's room, a lot of research with historians and technical challenges. Then there's the physical production that is recreating an era 
in multiple eras really uh, with spacecraft and real life things that were and we're trying to make them really true so that takes a huge amount of work and then shooting it shooting people in spacesuits on sound stages and making them look like they're really on the moon is not an easy process to to get it right to really make it look believable to the audience is very time consuming it's tedious it's physically difficult for the actors so it's a hard production in a lot of ways but it's a really fun one i think everyone on the show has really been had a good attitude and we've really enjoyed it and it's just it has a yeah, there's a special quality, I think, to what we we're doing. I think we didn't realize how hard the suits would be, actually, um, for the actors and just in terms of turning around production. Cause it's, it's difficult to do that, you know what I mean? To put on the helmets, some of the actors get a little uncomfortable in there. It's, it's hot. It's, you know, we don't have some of the same breathing apparatuses they do in the real-life spacesuits. So um, I think, as Ron said, also recreating the kind of how you walk on the moon is is difficult because I think we've all seen Apollo 13, we've all seen these movies, and um, you expect a certain thing, and it's hard to, uh, to replicate that. There's more sci-fi talk, so please stick around. Let's get back to sci-fi talk. I'm Tony Tolado. Ronald D. Moore changed his writing style for this project. I had to do more planning this time than I, I usually like to do uh, because of the nature of what we are doing. You know, it is a big historical piece and a big epic that's spanning many decades, really. So we had to take some time at the very beginning just to lay out the big roadmap of how all this was going to work. And then each season you have to kind of do it again and again. And as you're still changing things along the way you know we're still changing scripts and changing stories but once you do that you have to then follow that thread out and make sure this isn't you know how does this domino forward so there's a lot more intense intense kind of discussion and sort of you know making sure that these all these pieces line up correctly than there really was and you know Battlestar was much more improvisational we, we really did felt free to sort of make it up as we go along and had and didn't really get to a, a lockdown plan until towards the end and this this project just requires more like, okay, it's all very closely knitted together and we have to be careful with it. And on the competitive streaming services market. It's good and it's bad. I mean, it is this period of like peak TV and, you know, there's so many places and so many options for the audience, which is fantastic. But yeah, you don't want to get buried in the, in the din of it all, which is why we do things like this. And we try to like, you know, make the voice heard. But hopefully, I, I believe that good material tends to rise to the top and people didn't, do tend to find it. And you just kind of hope that it's, you've made something good that people will respond to and then they'll find it. There's more of my look for all mankind on Sci-Fi Talk. But first, a break. Back with Ronald D. Moore and Meryl Davis as they talk about the balance of real history and alternate history. But to them, it all starts at the same place. I feel like you have to start with the people. You know, that's who the audience shows up to watch every week. They don't really show up to watch my history lesson or really show up to watch you know, the, the special effects even. They show up to watch these people that they invited to their homes every, every week, right? So it's always about the character stories. It's always about their intimate lives. And then you embroider everything else around that. But I think that the, the alternate history and the real history, that amalgam, yeah, that takes time and thought. Because we pitch a lot of ideas in the writer's room for things that could change big and small. But you always have to kind of figure out how does that affect these particular characters. There's a lot of, like, fun political things we talked about doing and changes in history or technology or, you know, things out in the world internationally that could be different. 
but you can only put so much in the show because otherwise it becomes this other thing that's not about these people anymore so you always kind of kept going back yeah but it, what does that have to do with our characters and sometimes we could put something on a TV in the background that's just kind of an Easter egg throwaway sometimes we could do something more in your face to really say this is important that happened in the outside world and sometimes a character might mention it but we have to keep our focus on these people and what they're going through because that's where the drama is also I think in the beginning we we didn't want to do a typical dystopian drama. We wanted something a little more optimistic. And we also wanted to make sure that we had real moments in history that could kind of tether the audience and they could say, the fun of it is knowing the real moment and knowing how we've done something differently. Um, you know, we didn't want to do Man in High Castle, which is a great show. Um, but do you know what I mean? We wanted it to be a recognizable history, but the fun is seen in the twists and turns and ways we've kind of maneuvered it uh, to do a little different. Did they do anything to separate their show from other spacefaring shows? Not so much, to be honest. I mean, I think I thought of it primarily in terms of things I had seen about the, the, the space program. Apollo 13, From the Earth to the Moon, The Right Stuff. Those are kind of our touchstones. And it was more about separating ourselves from those pieces. Like, okay, the audience has seen... Neil Armstrong in various ways. They just did First Man. You know, they've seen the, the lunar module a bunch of times. They've seen the story of how we put a man on the moon for them. Now we're going to do a different, but it has to live in that same universe that the audience has a familiarity with as, and sort of is comfortable with that idea and now expand it and change it without losing touch with it. So that was kind of our, the biggest challenge of doing what we were doing. Was, it wasn't because other space things and, you know, uh, Battlestar or Star Trek or The Expanse or whatever, those shows really don't have anything to do with what we're doing in this particular program. And next up are these two talented ladies, Ren Schmidt, who is Margot Madison, and Jody Balfour, who is Ellen Wilson. So what's it like living in this alternate history? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so many great elements to it. We were just saying um, the way that tangibly, I think, is one of the most exciting aspects of it is that uh, the knock-on effect of supposedly something bad, like Russia winning the space race, actually ends up aiding social progress um, in many ways. Um, so it's super fun to be... In my, in my instance anyway, to be a woman in 1969-1970 being called to apply to become an astronaut at NASA, you know, when it didn't happen in, in real life until the 80s. So that's super exciting. And then, you know, suddenly you have women in these positions, including Ren's character as the first woman in mission control. You have women in these positions that we, uh, prior to this, associate men holding. And what does that do to society? How does that affect little girls? How does that, you know, that's, that stuff is all really exciting. So, I mean, your mission control, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah. It took a long time before we saw women in there. Well, what's funny is when you go back and look in those photos, it's like so many white dudes <laughs> with white shirts and a long, skinny black tie yeah. and black pants and, like, the headset and the cigarette. Yeah, right. And it just, I mean, it just looks like a Homogenous. And then you'll see, yeah. like, one woman with this enormous hairdo. <laughs> um, so, I don't... I mean, I don't know. I, I felt like there was there were so many interesting kind of like pieces of Margot's story for me, as far as her journey into getting out of being in the backup room into the the actual mission control, and then the excitement of what comes with each mission. Um, yeah, I just found that storyline really fun and learning about mission control. I mean, mission control. I feel like. I mean, it's a bit like you guys. You guys are like the people behind the scenes, and it's not necessarily that somebody's like, 
hey, that thing you wrote in that newspaper article and like this tiny little thing you figured out, you know, it's like the astronauts get all the like glory. The exciting things. I mean, I don't <laughs> even know if that's an apt analogy, but I feel like Mission Control, they're the, kind of the unsung heroes of everything, you know, like they are they are the people you know that are like behind the scenes making sure that like instrumental go up and come back down safely yeah. so yeah i found all, all of it fascinating on ronald d moore oh ron amazing <laughs> i mean best boss possible <laughs> i don't just say that i mean yeah. he stood up on our first day and yeah. said like brilliant. He's, he's not only brilliant, but he's also one of like the kindest, most genuine people you will work with. He believes that every person that's part of our show is as important yeah. as the, as anybody else. So actors, crew people, truly, you know, the catering staff, like everybody matters. And, you know, we're all trying to bring our A-game and he encourages that. I mean, you just could not ask for a, a better environment. Yeah, yeah. totally on their training for their roles. Not physical training, but lots and lots of reading and research. Um, and by the time I, so my character only comes in in episode three, and so by the time I joined the show, Ron and the creators had established a relationship with Garrett Reisman, who I believe worked with Ron on Battle, or maybe not Battlestar, but has had a relationship with Ron for a few, a few years, and um, is an astronaut. He's been up to space twice on a space walk. He's remarkable. Um, as, well, as well as Mike, is it Denise Akuda? Denise and Mike Akuda. Yeah, Mike and Denise Akuda, who are our uh, NASA advisors. The three of them were available to us. And Garrett, I can say for me anyway, playing, you know, being an astronaut and he is an astronaut, it was, as you can imagine, invaluable. He would have lunch with me, we would talk about all sorts of things that I can't tell you about because that would give away what happens. Um, and uh, yeah, and so between that sort of stuff, just wrapping your head around the practicality and the, and what it's really like, as well as just trying to lessen the gap between the amount of knowledge I had when I got the job to the amount of knowledge I needed to play the role. Um, that was sort of the bulk of it for me, yeah. No, we just also have to acknowledge Jerry Griffin, who was one of the first flight directors. Yes. So he came in and did a session with a lot of people on Mission Control. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like Jody and I both at varying points, once you get the script, you just start cramming. <laughs> You're like, what does this mean? What is this technical yeah. term? What is this acronym? This is a lot of research. On a women's role in this alternate universe. Even though there's this noteworthy difference between when uh, women join NASA in real life versus when women join NASA in our show and all these elements of social progress, it's also this, the world is still the world, you know, and there are still the barriers, the, the stigma, the bias, all of that still plays out in the show. So even though women come into NASA, the men don't like it very much. Uh, and even within that, there are, you know, gender barriers and resistance that we have to fight, as well as other elements of social progress that need, that has a lot, uh, we still have a lot of work to do. So things like racial barriers, things like uh, sexuality barriers, is, all that stuff um, is dealt with and looked at. Um, I think the, the guy, Ron, Matt, and Ben always say that even though we tweak history in the show, you might be able to change something a little bit about an event that happens, but ultimately people are who people are. So we can change the fact that 
Anne Smith didn't go to the store that day, but Anne Smith is still Anne Smith. So whatever consequences of her behavior might have happened, there's still going to be consequences of her behavior. So it's really interesting that dynamic. There's that push and pull between taking full creative license and still applying what we all know to be the realities of living in society. You know? Speaking of technical terms and things, what's it like when you're on the set? I mean, uh, one of the actors from Star Trek kind of related to tech uh, jargon, like almost Shakespeare, because it's so difficult. What was it like for you ladies? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've got to know what I'm saying before I can remember it. So, you know, I feel like you can go down two routes when you're dealing with, like, I'm, I couldn't even tell you a line now, but when you're dealing with, like, acronym, 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 I'm hitting the X button and the Y this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to start this. You can either try and just parrot that until it becomes rote, or in my mind, what I the way I approach it is just try to know exactly what I'm saying so that I can make sense of it. Because then, it, you know, it becomes. It also it's fun to be able to make sense of what you're saying, generally, obviously. Um, but it, well, you're right. He and whoever you spoke to is dead on. It's, a, it's not the same as learning a regular old English line, you know. Um, but that that stuff is like brain gym. I think it's great to have that challenge. Also, our production designers did such an amazing job that walking onto our sets. I mean, the first time I walked into the mission control set, the hairs on the back of my neck like stood up because it felt like walking into the room. And I was yes. like, great, don't have to pretend about any of this because yeah. these guys just gave us this huge gift yeah. of walking into what feels like the real deal. So. Dan, it's Dan Bishop, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Dan Bishop, who's our production designer, you know, of, he worked on Mad Men and, and has the most incredible skill set. So I believe our mission control set for season one uh, was an exact replica of the mission control room in Texas. So Down to like the boxes of man size Kleenex. To scale. No yeah. joke, it says man size Kleenex. <laughs> so yeah, they did a lot of our work for us. So, yeah. That's great. Special thanks to New York Comic Con and Apple TV. You know, there's a lot of streaming services. It's very competitive. This one, I think, deserves a look because of the pedigree involved behind the scenes and in front of the camera. It's a really good cast. And Ronald D. Moore has certainly had more of his share of hits. And you can go down the line as to what they are. So I would think this one deserves a peek, at least. Look for For All Mankind on Apple TV. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.